Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and in this episode of I'm the Gun, I'm reviving an old feature from my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com, called Where's the Trade? Where I'll have a look at a story or a run of comics that has yet to be collected and ask the question, Where's the Trade? Just a little disclaimer, I don't admit to having any answers to this question. This feature is really just a way for me to highlight a, an uncollected title or run of issues that I'm uh, particularly excited about. Subject of this episode is the series Johnny Quest, published by Comico in the mid-1980s. This is, of course, a series based on the characters from the 60s Hanna-Barbera primetime animated series Johnny Quest. First of its kind, really. Followed the adventures of young Johnny Quest and his family-slash-crew, his brilliant scientist father, Dr. Benton Quest, bodyguard-slash-tutor-slash-nanny Race Bannon, his pal Haji Singh, and of course the lovable pet bulldog Bandit. Now, the show ran for two seasons in the mid-60s, so a bit before my time, and uh, honestly, when I caught it in reruns 20 years later... I found it kind of dull. Had a great Hoyt Curtain theme song, um, but there were no transforming robots. My father swears by it to this day. I think he was the perfect age to catch the show the first time around, and I definitely appreciate it much more today for what it is, but uh, this show ain't about that show. It's about the Comico series. And uh, one doesn't need anything more than a general awareness of the television show to enjoy this excellent comic book. What attracted me to it at first, uh, what drove me to track down the entire 31-issue series 30 years after it was published, were the comics pros, the absolutely fantastic talent who worked on this book. First off, you have William Messner Loeb's writing every single issue. Comico published some other licensed books at the time, namely Robotech. Oh, how I how I love Robotech. Robotech comics, though, were straight adaptations of the animated episodes. This wasn't the case with Johnny Quest. The scripts that Messner Lopes turned in, 31 issues worth, with I think one exception, uh, were all original stories. The work he does in this title is great. This is long before he wrote the comics that I best know him for, mostly mostly DCs, including an outstanding run on The Flash, an interesting spin he put on Dr. Fate, and uh, an uneven run, we'll say, on Wonder Woman. These issues of Johnny Quest, though, they are now my favorite Bill Loeb's work. Scripts are tight, for the most part, self-contained stories, uh, consistently of the kind that you'd find in an old episode of the show, but comics format allowed for much more depth of character. Background details of these people's lives were filled in from how Race Bannon first hooked up with the quests, to insights into the everyday life of my new favorite comics character, Jezebel Jade. Bandit even gets a couple of spotlight issues. In the list of artists who worked on this title, either providing interior art, covers, or pinups, it's a who's who of some of the best comics artists of the 1980s. Things uh, kick off on a rather high note right out of the gate. Doug Wildey, who created the show, designing the characters and outlining the concept, 
provided the artwork to the first story in the very first issue. He also did the cover and would do a few more covers throughout the series. This guy's artwork is great. A veteran of Western and war comics reminds me a little bit of Alex Toth. We have a big volume of his Western serial Rio at the library I work at, and that looks really good. Following Wildy and succeeding issues of the likes of Tom Yates, Steve Rude, Murphy Anderson, Dave Stevens, Dan Spiegel. Oh, love Dan Spiegel. And probably the best work I've seen of Carmen Infantino's coming out of the out of the decade. Now, interestingly, uh, Carmen Infantino inked his own pencils on the issue of Johnny Quest that he did. And I think that had some painted art by Adam Kubert, and that's a great-looking issue. The second half of the book's run was illustrated by a regular art team, in this case two Marks, Mark Hempel and Mark Wheatley. I first fell in love with Mark Hempel's work on the Kindly One story arc in Sandman. This team was a, a great fit for Johnny Quest, though. And with all those different artists working on the book, with all those different styles, the characters strangely look like they came right off of the model sheet. There's a certain consistency to the work that fell in line with the source material, the animated show, and it made for some damn fine comics. Now, I'm the Gun is a recap-type podcast, so I'd like to go through one of my favorite issues from early in the run, issue number two. This is a story representative of what you'd find in the series, the hallmarks of a typical Johnny Quest adventurer there, the characters, the intrigue, nasty villains, but... This issue shows how the comics form can tell a story perhaps with a bit more depth than was possible on the Hanna-Barbera show. We learn quite a bit about the cast in this story called Enter Race Bannon. This is of course written by Bill Loebs. The art team is an interesting one. Pencils by Wendy Peeney, inks by Joe Staten. Now, I know of ElfQuest. I've never read ElfQuest, so not at all familiar with the work of Wendy Peeney. Joe Staten's work, on the other hand, I am very familiar with. My favorite Green Lantern artist of all time. Very distinct style that straddles straddles the line between being equally suitable for cartoony stuff like Scooby-Doo or more straight-up superheroics like Green Lantern or Legion of Superheroes. If I'd been told that Joe Staten had done the artwork to this issue of Johnny Quest by himself or if he'd penciled it with another inker, I would believe it. Either Wendy Peeney's pencils and Staten's inks mesh so well together, or Staten's inks just completely overpower the pencils, I, I can't really tell. The artwork has a distinctively Staten-esque look to it, especially in the character's facial features. Anyway, to go on with the credits here, the, the lettering is by Bob Panaha, colorist is Rick Taylor, and the whole package under a cover by Peeney and inked by Steve Rude. It's edited by Diana Schutz. The story opens on a beach in the Florida Keys where Race Bannon is reading from a history book to the boys Johnny and Haji. Race cuts the lesson short, dives into the ocean, and Haji takes the opportunity of this break to ask Johnny about Race's involvement with the Quest family. Johnny claims Race has been working with his father since Johnny's mother died. Haji expresses regret for bringing the subject of Johnny's mother up, but 
Johnny seems to want to talk about his mother. And here we cue the flashback. The story in this issue is told almost exclusively in flashback. Johnny thinks back on his time with his mother, whose name is Judith. He says she was his best friend with Dr. Benton Quest's scientific work pulling the family all over the world. Johnny was unable to form any lasting attachments with children his own age, so Judith took it upon herself to make sure Johnny always had a playmate. This all came to an end when Judith took ill with some undisclosed disease. This is interesting that no disease is mentioned, but I guess it kind of makes sense considering this is Johnny's flashback from his perspective. It's probably true that such a young child wouldn't know the the name of the disease killing his mother. While the family was in Paris, with Dr. Quest receiving all manner of terror threats, death threats, kidnapping attempts, uh, Judith was bedridden in the hospital. With the prognosis terminal, the doctor's best advice is for Johnny and Benton to spend as much time with Judith as they can. While in the hospital lobby, a woman, French-speaking and wearing a beret, is asking the receptionist the whereabouts of her brother, Maxim. In conversation with Johnny, Benton flashes back to his early days with Judith, so this is a flashback within a flashback, which is no doubt uh, probably easier to pull off in a comic book than it would in an animated show. She came from a very wealthy family and bankrolled Benton's early lab equipment, but she was also responsible for bringing all the fun to their relationship, playing practical jokes and breaking the shell of Benton's young, determined personality. Benton claims he got more work done with her teasing him than he ever could in some quiet, sterile lab. And the project he's working on now is apparently so important that Washington is sending one of their best agents to protect the Quest clan. That agent is, of course, Race, who's we see at the airport after a long travel day regretting his new assignment, playing nursemaid to a, quote, double dome and his precocious brat. His day's about to get a lot longer, however, as he starts to see some familiar faces in the airport. Some not-so-nice people from the international espionage set. When he attempts to flee, he's caught, forced into a car on the curb, where he's injected with the partial contents of a hypodermic needle before he's able to force himself right out of the car. Racist captors pursue him, and uh, even going so far as to take some shots at him. Back at the hospital, Dr. Quest and Johnny have a tough talk about Judith's future. Johnny asks if people stay themselves after they die, and Benton gives the most honest answer he can. He, he doesn't know. He goes on to say something really smart to his son, and in the final analysis, people are energy, which can't be created or destroyed. It only changes. So he hopes that people do continue on in some form, if even if only in the hearts of those left behind. It's a really nice philosophical moment, and it's also a nice moment between a father and a son, and not at all like the kind of dialogue you'd find in the TV show. I only hope I can sound as honest and intelligent when speaking to my own son. As Race makes his way through the 
streets of Paris, feeling like trash due to the drugs he's been injected with. Johnny drops in on his mom, and she has something interesting to say about her situation to her son. She calls it just another adventure, and she wants him to know she's proud of him. This sequence brought a little tear to my eye when I first read it. She wants him to... She wants him to open the blind to her hospital room window so she can see the sky, which she calls full of possibilities, even if it's raining. Race is now making his way across the rooftops toward the hospital, still being pursued by people shooting at him. At the hospital, Benton asks the doctor if it's all right for him to work at his wife's bedside as he still feels he can get his best work done in her presence. Despite seeming unconscious and unaware of her husband's presence with her, Judith reaches out and touches his hand in a another really moving moment. This got me a little choked up when I first read it as well. Johnny, meanwhile, walks through the hospital's hallways past that woman from earlier looking for her brother Maxim, when all of a sudden Race crashes through the window and collapses in Johnny's arms just after saying he's there to protect him. Pear is then interrupted by the woman looking for her brother, who thinks she's found him in race, but then notices her mistake, though she claims Maxim looks a lot like him. Apparently Maxim has run into some debt problems of late, as his sister explains, and has fallen in with a bad crowd. But she'd followed him here today to the hospital, from her description of where Maxim was last seen, Johnny recognizes that as a room adjacent to his mother's. Race has a bad feeling about this, and the trio rush to Judith's room. There, a man looking remarkably like Race enters and introduces himself to Dr. Quest as Roger Bannon, that's Race's real name, and asks to speak to Benton in the security office. The imposter follows Benton out, is just about to inject him with a needle when the real race makes a scene and starts beating the crap out of Maxim. The final punch, race says, is payback for having his luggage lost back at the airport. Dr. Quest and race are finally able to introduce themselves to each other and a partnership is born. We're told Judith died the next day, sadly. Benton had to make the difficult choice to cut life support as we come out of the flashback and Race rejoins Johnny and Haji and Bandit and asks the boys to look up at that blue, blue sky, saying it's a great day for adventure. With this comment echoing Judith's from earlier, we can be confident in the fact that yes, Johnny had lost his mother, but he has at least since then, been in, in very good hands. It's a really moving story, very typical of the high quality of stories found in this series. Though the whole imposter race Bannon plot point was borrowed from an old episode of the show, uh, we get quite a bit of new information. I like race's reluctance in accepting his new assignment and his misperception of the quote-unquote boring time ahead guarding a big-brained scientist and his child. Little did he know of the uh, giant mechanical spiders, criminal masterminds, and uh, 
frogman he'd be tackling in the near future. And despite being referenced maybe maybe once or twice in the show, this issue paints a defining portrait of Judith Quest, revealing the considerable influence she's had on her husband and her son, despite passing away at the boy's young age. So this story, and every issue of this series, has never been collected, and uh, is probably unlikely ever to be collected. The rights to publish comics based on at least the adventure line of Hanna-Barbera animated series now rest with DC Comics, and uh, I haven't been paying too close attention to what they're doing with those rights, but uh, the Quest Clan is now popping up on the comics racks again. DC is putting out some sort of I don't know, bandit, dynamut, team-up, something or other, right? Well, anyway, who knows who owns the rights to this Comico series? Hanna-Barbera? DC? Who knows? Just seems like uh, the series is destined to be one of those great comics runs that falls through the cracks, only to be discovered or rediscovered by people like me and like you. And I'll put up some images from issue number two. Maybe a few of my favorite covers from the series up on my blog, imthegun.blogspot.com. There will also be some contact info there if you are interested in talking any more about Johnny Quest, the show, the comics, whatever. All right, this was fun to uh, to resurrect. Where's the trade? So anyway, until next time, peace. <laughs>